This morning as we begin our December teaching series entitled Christmas Footprints, we're going to be looking at different people in the nativity journey. And the, the one trait they bring to the table, so to speak. And this morning I want to talk to you about Mary and her faith. And let's leave this morning with some, some clear lessons and principles about what we can, can do in 2006 as faithful followers of our Lord. The child that she bore. Amen. Take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 1. The Scripture was read for you earlier. Let me just simply highlight a few things for you as we talk about this text this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. As you see in verse 26, an angel came to Mary, Gabriel, and he made this announcement that she would that she was highly favored and that God was with her. And verse 29 is an interesting phrase. The Bible says that Mary was greatly troubled. You might just want to jot over those two words in your Bible. Fearful. She was very fearful. Now, while angelic messengers were not uncommon in Old Testament times and in interbiblical periods, it wasn't like they were common to every single layman. Typically, prophets received the angelic messages. And so the prophets would relay those to the people. In this case, a common teenager is interacted with by an angel. So she's fearful. And on top of that, he brings news that doesn't really gel with her life situation. You're going to bear a son. And by the way, it's not just the fact that he's a son, but he's God's son. So you can see why the words in verse 29 would be the very thing that you would feel as well. Amen? You would be. Remember, as you think about this text, just translate it 2006 and think about what you saw. How would you feel if Mary went to your school, rode your bus, worked in your neighborhood, in your store, and you had this same information? There's no doubt fear would start to grip the hearts of people. And if you were Mary, it would be your first reaction. But I want you to notice here how her fear is calm. Very important in our text here. Look at this. In verse 30, the angel begins to talk to her. And he says, actually, he addresses the obvious, do not be afraid. There's a good idea. When you have certain feelings, you know, just address the obvious first. Amen? And then look how he calms her. He says that, that you're going to be with child and give birth to a son. And he begins to lay out here some Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah 9, that he will be great. He'll be from the throne of his father David. He'll reign forever and his kingdom will never end. You know what brought her peace? And brought her calm. You know what rested her fear? The Word of God. So would you word it like this? You have a teaching tool in front of you there. You've got a pen handy. Would you just write this simple phrase down? When I feel only fear, biblical faith calms my heart because it rests on God's promises. Just jot that down. I'll show it behind me here. It's a good principle to learn here from these first few verses in Luke chapter 1. That when we feel afraid, true faith calms us. You know why? Because it rests our souls and our life on God's Word. By the way, I was thinking this week about the different things we could settle our feet on when things seem fearful. Like um, our feelings. That's a bad idea. Why? Because feelings change. I thought, well, well, we'll we'll rest our feet in a relationship. That's not a good idea because guess what? Relationships change. Well, I'll rest my feet on circumstances. 
That's not a good idea. Why? Say it with me. Circumstances change. I'll rest my feet on our society or on the government. That's not a good idea. You know why? Say it with me. Governments change. But as you read the Bible, you know what the Lord said in the Old Testament? I am the Lord your God. I change not. In theological terms, it's called the immutability of God. His unchangeability. So when things around me are shifting, when I get unscripted and unexpected things coming into my life, then I want to do what Mary did. I want my faith to find the only unshakable, unchangeable thing in the universe. God. And I want to plant my feet right there. Amen? Now, be aware that Mary's fear was probably related to some very specific things she knew would happen to her because she was pregnant. It wasn't unfounded fear. And in that culture, pregnancies apart from a completed betrothal period, which was actually a one-year legal agreement in which there was physical separation, and that was culminated in a marriage and then there was physical union. Pregnancy before that physical union in this betrothal period usually meant some terrible circumstances. In fact, I wonder if perhaps the uh, encounter with her and her parents when she found out she was pregnant may have been something like this. Watch this simple clip from the upcoming movie, The Nativity, and see if you might... It'd be hard to see, so just kind of, if you have to listen to the words, maybe you kind of draw your own pictures, but watch the tension in this clip. It's really hard to see, I realize. Elizabeth had a baby, even in her old age. Elizabeth had a husband! Women have been put to death for this. They could stone you in the street. Do you understand? You should have stayed with Elizabeth. Father. Father. I have broken no vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. As Julie and I watched the initial screening Thursday night, the tension of these moments in our own hearts just rose. We left the theater thinking, wow, what would it have been like to be parents? of a teenager expression to you, I think I've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. I mean, like, uh, honey, I need a little help. I mean, that just would be the tension of that environment. Are you with me? And you can see why fear became the overriding feeling, the overriding reaction. And knowing, too, that even though that area of the country was probably under Roman occupation, so most scholars believe that in the Old Testament law you could stone someone to death in the streets for this kind of trespass. Probably in that culture, because of their own occupation, they, capital punishment would not have been executed by the Jewish nation because they were, they were occupied by a foreign government, so to speak. But there was the whole idea of social disgrace. And Joseph could have made an accusation, and there is the chance that the Roman government would have carried out the death penalty on his behalf. So there's just all these variables. What's she doing? How's she going to get through this? What are her friends thinking? What's her family's reaction? 
How did Mary find peace in that? If you read Luke 1, about verses 46 forward, you find that in her first song of praise, it is just filled with Old Testament quotations. Which takes me back to the angel's message, which was what? My greeting probably troubles you, but guess what? I'm just here delivering on what's been promised of old. God's Word brought her peace and calm when everything around her screamed, Be afraid! Be afraid! How do you respond in times when that's what life screams at you? When life says, man, you ought to watch out. This is unscripted, unexpected. You ought to be afraid of what's coming down the pike. What do you do? How do you respond? I trust that it's like Mary in faith. Now, I want to share with you some insights about faith that will help you with your response. Because I think every person here across the room would, would, would agree. I want to respond that way. The problem is sometimes we don't. Even though our hearts say we want to, our, our response is often not in faith. And I think the reason that is sometimes is we don't understand faith very well. Let me just kind of share with you a couple things about faith that will help you. Okay? So this is where I really need you to engage mentally a little more than you have been already. Okay? Faith is not a blind leap. Let me just clear that up. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. But it is an informed step of trust. You say, Todd, what's the difference? Here's the difference. A blind leap has no object on which to take a, a step. It's like this free air phenomenon. That is not biblical faith. But biblical faith has as its object two certain things. And it's from those certain things that we can go from the known into the unknown. Let me explain what they are. The first certain thing is the Word of God. Hebrews 11, and just kind of jot these down. They'll not be behind me. Just jot these down. Hebrews 11 says that by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the command of God. You know how the worlds came into existence? God spoke it. The same faith we use to understand that God's Word spoke the worlds into existence is the very same faith that when things hit you that are unscripted and unplanned, it's that same faith. If God made the world by simply speaking it, guess what? He can handle my life. I've got His Word on it. The Word of God provides a foundation for our faith that is unshakable. So first of all, faith has as its object what God has said. Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled. New Testament miracles and teachings are true. So we stand on this book. In addition to what God has said, our faith relies on what God has shown. And by that I mean simply this. Listen very carefully. The Son of God. Write down the chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. And I love this, the first few verses because it says this, that in the, in the former days, God gave us things like His prophets. But then He said that He has now spoken to us through His Son, who is the exact representation of God and His being. Get this, guys. Our faith rests on the secure and fundamental object of what God has said and what God has shown in His Son. Jesus Christ was an historical, realistic person who lived on a real thing called planet Earth. You can believe and trust Him. He left us His written Word. It's been over, uh, over 40 authors, over a period of 1,600 years, all verified. 
those two things say to me that I have got a secure and concrete place from which to take an informed step of trust. It is still a step of trust. It is still somewhat from the known to the unknown. But we're not just going from this free air into this no air thing. Faith has a concrete object. What God has said and what God has shown. So as you respond now to unscripted, unplanned events, as you think about what is coming into your life the last seven days, what's, what's ahead? Watch this, guys. This book and His Son form your responses. In fact, here's a good rule of thumb to practice. This is a good little practical application. When something hits you funny in the next seven days, and it will, isn't that right? Something's going to come your way. I didn't plan on this. or I didn't know about that. Just keep these together. Until you say, what does God say and what would Jesus do? And until you answer those two questions, I wouldn't even give a response. Amen? Because you know what? Your first response should be one of faith. And when you find out what God has said about it and what maybe His Son did in response to it, then you can give a more biblical response. Now, when I say that to you, sometimes... Church members and Christians, we like, well, how do I know what he would do? And I'm not sure what the Bible says about it. There we go. There may be the real fundamental issue we have to wrestle with as Christians and as a church, and that is this. Are we really investing ourselves in the study of this book? In a, a, a prayer time and a walk with God where we know his heart. But you see, folks, I want to share with you the way to know and respond to unplanned events um, in faith, now listen very carefully, is to make the reading and study of this book and my relationship with Christ a priority every single week. In fact, I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again to you in love and compassion, but with great boldness. This is the reason the church of the 21st century is stale, cold, and powerless. It's because we are living out this thing called faith apart from the object we stand on. Most churches and most Christians live their life void of the Word of God. They tell nice stories. They have neat little events. But the Word of God is scarcely seen. And it is, on the, it is with that as a backdrop that you begin to see why First Family is so adamantly supportive and we are just completely sold on the teaching of this book. Can I be frank with you? It's not church without this. But we can gather and do something. I guess that'd be okay. But what are we standing on? What are we resting on? What, what good, what right, what help as a, as a pastor to go to a couple who's lost a baby and just give nice little words without the promise of First Thessalonians that one day you will see them again. That's not something I can make up just to make them feel better. I've got to have a backing. Are you with me? I mean, what good is your house to get together and have a potluck dinner and have some cake and, and, and do some hugging and praying if all you're going to do is watch TV? Man, pull the Word out and let's dig in deeper. First family is built and rooted on this very simple thing. We want to know what God has said and we want to know whom God has shown. His Word and His Son. That really drives our church. Someone emailed me this past week who was here last week for their first time. They 
were very complimentary about the service and about you guys especially, how wonderful you were. And then they said, and by the way, next week, we're definitely bringing our Bibles. And they were talking about the reference to Luke chapter 21. And it was a difficult text last week. And we, it was prophetic. And it was hard to understand, I realized. But you know what this person walked away with? The intense understanding that, wow, that church really wants you to know the Bible. Amen! That's exactly right. You know why? Because that's what gives you the ability to respond in faith. And as your pastor, I bring this challenge to you. If you're living week to week, week to week, week to week, you know, 28 weeks, 36 weeks, 52 weeks, if you're going year after year, and this Word is not central to your life, you're going to find it hard when things come into your life that aren't expected to respond in the right way. I ask you, church, make the Word of God a part of every single day of your life. You say, Tom, I didn't come to church for something that simple. It's the simple things that make life work. And I just want to embolden you and empower you. Make the Word of God a part of every day of your life. Read it. Understand the heart of God and and speak with Him and, and pray with Him and read His Word. You will find that the concrete object of your faith will become very strong. So when you are called to make that informed step of trust, you can say, hey honey, step with me because we've got God's Word on this. Have no fear. There's something else I want you to see as well in this text. Look with me. Her first response was fear, and God met with that and helped her through that by giving her His Word. And so she found calm through the Old Testament prophecies, and that's how her heart came to be at peace. But in verse 34, we find an interesting question. She asked, and I don't believe she asked this question out of fear here, but out of simple curiosity. Look with me at verse 34. After the angel calms her nerves through the Word, the Bible says that Mary then said, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? It's like she moved from... Now watch this here. She moved from fear to facts. In other words, she just kind of wanted some some answers to how God was going to override the natural laws of the birds and the bees. Are you with me? And it's almost as if I, I believe, and so I'm not afraid, but I'm kind of curious how you're going to do that. I think you've been there before, haven't you? When perhaps your heart really did believe and you were, you were beyond the place of fear, but you didn't have a clue how God was going to do this. I like to say it like this, that sometimes our faith gets blurred by the facts. Is that okay to say? You know, we, we see what God wants to do spiritually and then our eyes begin to see the physical realm. We're like, well, God can't do that. We get blurred by the facts. When God is operating in a realm of faith. When that hit Mary, you know what she did? She realized that God's power helped her kind of see through the facts. So would you write down this? Here's another principle we learned about faith and, and how to respond to difficult, unexpected times. Write this down. When I see only facts, biblical faith clears my vision. And this is possible because of God's power. Just jot that down. It'll be behind me here. And it may be a little difficult to see. But I'm thankful for the sun, aren't you? Praise God. It's a beautiful day. So just jot this down. And let's talk a little bit about what it means to, to see through facts. Because when I say this, some of you are like, well, Todd, are you asking me to be illogical? Are you saying that I should avoid the obvious? Not necessarily. 
I'm calling upon all of us to trust in a God that if He wills, listen to me very carefully, if He wills, can override and set aside the laws of nature and the principles of life. You need proof? Just ask Mary, who became pregnant without ever knowing a man. The Bible says here in about verse 35, the answer to her question was this, the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 35. You there? The angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel said, Mary, God's power is going to impregnate you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And so watch this. When you have this child, it will have nothing to do with the human person we call man, but everything to do with deity. Christ's DNA was deity. Now, I want to explain something to everyone here. I do this every Christmas, and it's important that I do this. Listen very carefully. This is why the virgin birth matters so much to our faith. When I say faith, I mean our body of beliefs. It is very important that you understand, had Jesus Christ not been born of a virgin, He could not save you. Had He not been born of a virgin, He would not be fully God. You see, because the Bible explains in Romans chapter 5 that it is through the man that the seed of sin is sown. And all the women say what? Amen, right? The wives are like, I knew that was the problem in our marriage, you know. But the truth is, uh, because we are ultimately responsible as the head of our homes, the, the situation in Genesis was laying at Adam's feet. And so the Bible says that from that point on, every single person born, Romans 5, verses 12 and 19, explain that every person born inherits this thing called a, a sinful nature. We are corrupt at birth. I know that newborn is cute. The little bow in the hair is nice. But guess what? Inside that little tiny two-week-old baby is a corrupted nature that they got from Adam. And the only way it can ever be changed is by the power of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now watch this. If Jesus Christ would have had an earthly father, He'd be no different than you and me. So you might as well die on a cross for me and I'll take my chances with you or Corbin or anyone else. But because Jesus Christ, because the, the male DNA was bypassed, guess what? He had no part of a sinful nature. He was all God, but yet He was all man that He was born of a woman. So guess what? When you line up all the rulers of the age and say, Who can save man? The one that only qualifies, that stands out as the one who is all God and all man. Only Jesus Christ is the mediator between man and God. He takes me from earth to heaven because He was both. He was earthly and heavenly. And I want to say to you, church, any religion, small group guru, pastor, radio evangelist, anyone at all, anyone who promotes a faith, a a, a belief system apart from the virgin birth is fundamentally heretical. We need and rely on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Without it, we're doomed to hell with no hope. But with it, Jesus Christ emerges as the one and only Savior of every single person in this room. Hallelujah. Amen. I can trust a man. 
I can believe a man who was fully God, who lived this life without a sin nature, who was perfect in nature and perfect indeed, and who died as a sacrificial lamb. So when Romans says to me, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, Acts 16, Romans 10, when I hear those verses, I'm like, man, I can believe a God who gave His Son in a virgin in a virgin's womb and who died a death as a, as a lamb. I can believe that kind of person, that kind of Savior takes you to heaven. This Christmas, man, relish the virgin birth. Sure, it's hard to explain. I have no way to, to, to try to teach this to you. I don't know how the Holy Spirit did this. I don't know how the Most High overshadowed her. But at some point, for this teenage girl, her stomach began to grow. And this womb enlarged. And inside that womb was a little baby who was all God, who'd be born and 33 years later die to save you from your sins. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, when you think about that whole scenario, that's an immense amount of power, isn't it? I mean, that's incredible. That's the same power that brought the worlds into existence. That's the same power that, that calmed the waters, that, that, that ceased the winds, that fed the 5,000. That's the same power. And guess what? That same power that impregnated a little teenage girl, that raised this very son she bore from the dead, that same power is available to God's family today. So that when, you're, when you say, man, the facts don't line up, there's no way God wants me to do that because when I look around me, there's no way it can be done. Well, the problem is you're doing the equation without God. If you put God into the equation, guess what? The impossible could happen. What did he say in the last part of this very verse? He said, listen, even Elizabeth is pregnant and she was well past her childbearing years, but she's going to have a baby. So if I can help someone who, who's past her childbearing years have a baby, guess what? I can help someone who's not even in her childbearing years have a baby. Because why? Look at the last part of verse 37. Nothing, I think referring there to those two women, pregnancy out of your childbearing years and pregnancy before your childbearing years, the truth is, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the facts said, wait, 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 we can't have these babies born. Elizabeth and John the Baptist, there's no way. Mary and the Son of God, no way. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a man and a woman and they've got to kind of get married and blah, 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 Right? But wait, you're forgetting. When God becomes the, the, the mathematician, so to speak, everything changes. That's why I believe that in your situation of unexpected, unplanned, stretching events going on right now, the one you just shared about in your smaller group, don't eliminate God from the equation. I suspect that some of you shared financial issues. Things are tough. It's Christmas and your kids are expecting a lot. They're American. What's new? You don't have the money. You don't have the money in January or June, much less December. And you got this preacher, old-fashioned preacher, telling you you need to make sure that you give to the Lord as well. And you're like, man, I just don't have the money. And then you come to church on December 3rd, 2006, and you hear your pastor say, well, if you give, as God says, you'll have more when you're done. You're like, Todd, that doesn't make sense. You're right. Because when we add the numbers up, it doesn't make sense. But when God takes 90%, it's a whole lot more than your 100%. You believe that? I do. You see, that's why God said, test me. Malachi 3. 
test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. Who did he say that to? He said that to the children of Israel. He said, you need to quit robbing me and give me that 10% and then watch me take care of you. I tell couples on a regular basis. This won't sit well with some of you. That's okay. I tell couples on a regular basis. Give 10% of your income to God for six months. We'll sit back down together. And if you're worse off financially, you can keep your money. I've not had one couple who with an honest heart approached their budget the right way and gave as the Spirit designed. I've never had one couple say, Hey, Todd, God's economy doesn't work. I want my money back. You know why? Because God has a way of making 90% go further than you can make 100%. Because nothing is impossible with God. It's true with marriages. Marriages sometimes will be on the rocks. Couples aren't getting along. Spouses are fighting. And they look in the Word of God and they see the, the biblical roles. They see how couples should interact and how husbands should love their wives and, and how wives should love their husbands. And they begin to see, okay, this is how we should act towards each other. And as they change and as they let God change them, you know what happens? Their marriage gets to be restored. What they would have said six months, man, we'll, we'll never get along. We might as well throw in the towel. When they kind of get on the same page with God, you know what He does? He steps in and does miraculous things, even though it may not fit with what Dr. Phil or Oprah tell you. Those biblical roles are messed up. They're backwards. I don't believe in that. Well, look at the divorce rate. You tell me who you trust. God or the, or the current psychologist, man. I'm going to stick with God. And couples and families that institute that and say, you know what? We'll, we'll trust God's power to humble and break our hearts and meld us into one. It just happens, guys. You cannot eliminate God from the equation. His power is unlimitless and available. Now watch this very carefully. It is not, however, God's power is not, however, a leverage for you. Now listen to me, church. It is not something you put under the rock of what you want and begin to... Hey, God, I believe. I can't wait for that Lexus. You know, I've got faith, God. Lord, I, I would love more than six figures. And you start... See, that's presumption. See, that's thinking that God should act if you believe. I don't believe that. I believe God can act if He wills. You catch the difference? My theology allows me to believe God can act if He wills. My theology does not let me believe God should act if I think he should, if I say He should. So my faith in the power of a God that's in this, in this limitless power that can impregnate a teenager who's never known a man, can steal the waters and calm the seas, yes, I believe that. But then do I hold God hostage and say, hey, here's my agenda. Can you deal with that now? No. I say, Lord, that same power is available. And I believe you can. And so I pray, Lord, your will be done. And that's why at this church, you, you won't find us cornering some family whose child is sick and not recovered and saying, well, your faith wasn't strong enough. That won't happen here. You know why? Because although it is our job to believe, it is only God's job to act. Are you with me? We won't say to someone who's got cancer, well, I know this person here was healed and recovered, but you apparently didn't believe hard enough, so I guess you still got it. You're not going to find that. 
we won't play the role of God in our pursuit of this powerful faith that, that, that God has given us to, to see His stuff worked out. We won't do that. We will encourage you to believe and trust. And as you take an informed step of trust, to rely on God's will. His purposes far extend your understanding. Is that okay to say, church? He is involved with a redemptive plan across the span of time that, that far exceeds my and yours ability to even grasp. How and why He does things. Just read the last part of the book of Job. And God begins to expand with Job. Job, you have no clue what I'm up to. You don't have a, the first understanding of, of my incredible wisdom and reign and what I'm after in the ultimate end. And when we use our faith as like a, a leverage to say, God, I want to move you and pry you to get my way, we, we undermine the, the whole timeline of God's work. So church at First Family, let us have a biblical faith that believes if God chooses and wills, He can. That's up to Him. My role is to simply believe He can. That's the kind of faith Mary had. And that's why in verse 38, she said this. Look at this. I am the Lord's servant. Isn't that awesome? When unexpected and unscripted events come into your life, that's an awesome response. I'm the Lord's servant. He will do what He pleases. It's my job to believe. One of the ways that we find our belief encouraged is through the stories of other people who have who have seen God work, much like Elizabeth was to Mary. I think that's why she went down to her house when she heard the news. She was there about three months with Elizabeth. I think not only because she was worried about the initial shock of her friends and family, but also because she thought, well, man, if God's going to do this in my life, I want to see what He did in the other person's life. So she goes down there. And perhaps this is kind of what might have been like that day when her and Elizabeth were walking. Here's another clip from the Nativity. Watch this and, and see if you can begin to pick up some things about how Hearing other stories of faith encourage us to believe as well. Are you afraid? Yes. My husband has been chosen for me. The law says I was to remain pure for a year. How is he to believe this? Stay with us then. We will pray for guidance. Elizabeth, why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. Oh, child. Though it's hard to see, I think it's interesting that when they were together in a companionship, they both found their strength uh, they're, they're, they found their faith strengthened to believe for the impossible. This is why we encourage you to be in environments where you can be strengthened in your faith. It is not healthy spiritually to live life alone, to be apart from other groups. I mean, I mean, and you can be alone in this crowd, by the way. I'm talking about in environments such as our lighthouses and other small groups and Bible studies where people can you can hear their stories and say, "Well, if God did that for you, well, maybe He would." Jump into my life and, and work in powerful ways. He did for Mary through Elizabeth. He can for you as well. So as we look at Mary's life, we see that faith becomes a, a real footprint that she left for us. And we have to ask ourselves, am I responding in faith? So, question. Remember that situation you shared earlier? 
that scenario, that event, that uh, thing that you talked about that came into your life and was stretching you? Are you responding to that like Mary responded to her stuff? With an attitude of faith? With a response of trust in the Lord? Firmly rooted in the Word. Firmly relying on His power. And then, Lord, I'm Your servant. Be it to me as You have said. Faith marks the true followers. Amen. So I call You, church, to the next seven days, to responding just like Mary, in faith. Faith that is based on what God has said and what He has shown. And faith that, if should God choose to, even set aside the natural laws and principles of life to step into your life. That's incredible power, isn't it? That's available to those who by faith simply believe. Let us walk this week in faith. Will you pray with me, please?